0: If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for um, Exodus chapter 32 tonight. Been excited for uh, this this particular night getting to this point. We spent tons and tons of months, probably since September. Um, Working our way through the law of Moses and, and through the, the, the construction of the tabernacle and the ephod and the rules and, and the construction of the um, furniture for the tabernacle. And now we've, we've come to a kind of a pullout section 32, 33, 34 uh, of um, some heart issues that were going on in the nation of Israel as they left um, Egypt and were on their way to um, the promised land. And when we get back to 35 in Exodus, the last five chapters, we'll go through those probably in an evening. And, and it's going to kind of pick back up with the law and with the rules and the, um, the procedures moving forward and some of the um, execution of the, of the things that God has already laid out. Now, one of the things that, that I want you to understand um, about reading the Bible for yourself on a daily basis, understanding it, is that the Bible says that, that the Bible itself is spiritually discerned. So, um, you know, like we studied on Sunday in the gospel of, of John, the blind man who said, I don't know, but here's what I know. I was blind and now I see. And so many times you might hear somebody or you might talk to somebody who, who, who claims to have read the Bible or, or, or will quote passages of the Bible and just don't understand what it means. And the reality is that until the God removes the blinders from your eye... Um, you, you won't understand, you won't receive the things because um, when you become a Christian, when you become born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of your, your heart. The Holy Spirit takes residence upon you. In John chapter 21, Jesus looked at the disciples and he breathed on them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And they became born again. And, and, and the Holy Spirit of God on this side of the cross dwells inside of us. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And one of the functions and one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is as we read, as we pray, as we... God, God helps us through the Spirit to understand things in the Scripture as we read them. So the Bible is spiritually discerned. And yes, some could come to the Scriptures and, and have blinders on and not understand what they're reading. And not to say that a non-believer, because so many non-believers get saved by reading the Bible as the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin and revealing things to them with the purpose of... Um, um, them getting saved and coming to Jesus. So not, so not, not to make the point that n- if you're not a Christian, you just can't read the Bible and understand any of it. That's not true. So, many of the, so much of the Bible is just wisdom, just English, plain, easy to understand, and any, anyone can understand it. But but the body of of, of the scripture, and, and as we um, grow in our faith, it, it does. There, there's a difference between that 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 the Holy Spirit revealing things to us. So, always pray for us that the Holy Spirit would would speak some things through to us through our study in um, in these ex, in these these pages of Exodus. So let's pick it up in chapter 32, and it says <coughs> it says now. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, little g, that shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us out out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So, as you guys know, um, during chapter thirty and all the way back to chapter 20, 21, 22, 30, all the way through to where we are, Moses is where? He's up on Mount Sinai. How long would he would he remain on Mount Sinai? 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai where God was giving him the law. So we're getting a sneak peek, but where we are right here, the the tabernacle hasn't been built. We weren't watching the construction of the tabernacle in the last 10 chapters. We were just reading the instructions that God was giving Moses. So we have these two scenes going on here through Exodus. And the one that we've we've been following is the one that, that that's happening up on the mountain where Moses is meeting with God and God is laying out all these things. God writes um, with his with his own hand, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Well, in 32, the people are getting weary and they're saying, where is this Moses, our leader? Where, where is our, our pastor, our shepherd? He, he, we haven't seen this guy. What, what, what do we pay this guy for? What is he doing? What does he do all day, every day? And, and where is this Moses? And we're tired, and we haven't seen him. We want you to make us gods that, that we can worship. Now, now, the battle, again, as we know, through Israel's history, up, up until a certain point in their history where God eradicated them when they went into the Babylonian captivity for how long? How long were they in Babylon? They owed the Lord 490 Sabbaths. 490 years of Sabbath, one every seven years. 70 years they were in Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years, and when they came out of Babylonian captivity, as you study the history of the nation of Israel, never again did they fall back into idolatry and paganism as they had all the way prior, all the way from Egypt. It was a struggle all the way through. So many of the archaeologists and and digs in Israel, when they find some of these ancient civilizations, they find um, tons of pagan idols just riddled through through all of their, their the places that they're excavating. So they, they had this struggle coming out of Egypt with these foreign gods. And look at verse number two. It says, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears, your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. You guys think that earrings are new? You guys are cool and hip like, Hey, we, we invented this. Guys wearing earrings? I thought it was cool in high school. I think I was a sophomore when I got my ears pierced little hoops. I used to gold hoops. I used to wear in my ears. And then later, you now now they wear studs. Diamond studs was the thing, but you know, and, and that whole idea of wearing gauges in your ears, you know, everybody thinks it's like the latest, greatest, the newest fad for those poor kids who, who stretch their ears out to touch their shoulders. Those things will never go back. They have to like surgically cut them off and someday they're going to grow up and, and regret that decision. But, um, but it's not new wearing earrings Having tattoos is 6,000 years old. It's nothing new under the sun. So we see here that not only did was it customary for the, the, the girls to wear um, earrings, but the boys were wearing them as well. And, and it, it was um, in its nature pagan. It came from Egypt. It came from traditions of Egypt. And so they were wearing them. And Aaron says to break off the gold earrings that are in your ears and bring them to me. And it says in verse 3, So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. You know, at least I guess it didn't say that they broke off the golden studs. They were in their lips and their noses and their eyes and studs everywhere else. But at least they were in their ears. And they brought them to Aaron. And he, verse 4, received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Remember that. That Aaron fashioned it. Then they said... Then they, underline they, this is not Aaron, this is the people, changes narrative there. They said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So we kind of catch in the narrative here where Aaron is not really on board with what they want to do. Aaron is giving in. But then Aaron says, well, let's um, have a feast to the Lord. Not not the false idols or the gods that that they wanted to worship, the gods of Egypt. He wanted to have a legitimate feast, blessing the Lord God of Israel. And, And he told him, show up early in the morning. But he made a concession. And, and, and I think this is where, you know, how does this happen practically in the church today? And it's something that we all fight all the time. And it's this idea that, that the church has to be like the world. And so Aaron made this concession thinking, if, we're, if I just give them something that's, 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 that the world is doing, and, you know, even though it's church, we're still in church, we're going to feast to the Lord, and, and I'll throw them a bone, we'll be relevant, we'll, um, you know, and, and it'll make the people happy. And so many churches have the philosophy that you know, in order to reach the world, we have to be exactly like the world. They, they they can't tell a difference between us and the world. And you know, they come in and we we sing the songs of the world, we do the things of the world, and then I don't know what the backdoor plan is, just to like trick them in the end and set like a bear trap once you once they're in, they realize that you know they're 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 not in the world and and that it's not. But the the this this move to become relevant, we see so many uh, Christian artists over and over and over and over again. You know, they start Christian, they're singing songs to the Lord, and then they want to reach the, the secular world. They want to break into the secular industry so they can share the gospel. And so they come up with albums and songs that have no mention of the gospel, no mention of the Lord Jesus Christ, with, with this, this plan of relevancy that Aaron is going to employ here, that if we become relevant to the world, if we become like the world, then that we can reach the world. And what's the result for these Christian artists time after time after time again? They go secular. Before long, they stop serving the Lord. And then half of them tell you 10 years later, oh, they were gay the whole time. And that they didn't, uh, they they never really, you know, and and it's this, and the church too is the same way. The the church has, and it's a struggle for us because there's there's so many people on so many sides of the aisle. Then you have like the ultra conservatives who still want to stick with, with traditions from the 1500s and 1600s and 1700s and don't want anything to change in the church so that we don't um, fall into this, this, this relevancy of, of becoming like the world and we have to abstain from the things of the world. And, and yet, in relevancy, it is important, right, that in the church does change, that we change our music styles, that we change our, our decor. And, and at what point did God, like, freeze history? That's what I always trip on. Like, 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 was it 1827? God froze history and that was what he liked. Because before that it was different and after that it's different. But people are stuck in what's... And, and so there's this, this idea that the church can't make any changes. The idea that people wear hats in church. Look around, I see hats. Sound guy takes his off, but it's too late. I already caught him with it on. Um, you know, little things like that, right? People trip out. Can't believe they were in hats in that church of God. Well, first of all, you know somebody told told us when we had to cross this bridge at one point. When, when you know, and we we talked as a board and we said, well, I actually, the church is wearing hats in the building because the church is the people. The church is not this building. the 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 church, the Iglesia, is the people that come, and so we decided that since the church is wearing hats in the building. And people aren't wearing their hats in the church because, you know, doctrinally, that's just not sound that we we, we chose not to make an issue of it. You know, for some people, they say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's polite. Well, yeah, for some people, it might be, but God's looking at your heart. And for most of us, we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, intentionally, you know, if you grew up in a place, you know, where you walked in the house and your dad smacked you in the mouth if you had your hat on and you had to remove it everywhere you went and, you know, but, but again, now, I'm not talking about hats in church. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. It's an example of um, things that traditions of men that, that we put in the church that, that become somehow God's heart or God's will. And unless the Bible deals with it, then um, it, it's a non-issue. But at the same time, we, we don't want to um, be so like the world that they can't tell a difference. You know, in in one in one church, and they did this thing called the Elephant Room, and they brought a bunch of pastors together from all over, different churches and styles, and shared different ideas for evangelism and outreach. And one particular guy in this Elephant Room, and it was wonderful. James Mack did it. Um, James McDonald's one of my favorite Bible teachers, and some 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 great pastors, some on the fringe. And anyways, this one guy in the Elephant Room for for Easter, because they were inviting tons of unsaved people. Their um, their opening song was. Uh, something with hell in it. There's tons of hell songs. It was like raising hell or born to be hell or what? I don't know. Somebody tell me a song has hell in the title highway to hell, something like that. It was like highway to hell. And, and then he was going to come out and he was going to explain, but they were going to sing as a song and have the worship team lead highway to hell. And then he was going to use it as a sermon example to reach unsafe people. And you know, again, I don't know, I'm nobody's Holy Spirit, but is that, is that not what Aaron did here? Is that, is that not where Aaron took things that were very worldly and, and put them into the church, right? So for us, just so you know, and I've preached this sermon already because we cross this bridge all the time. So I, I started with this, I hammered this hard as we move forward. We have to continue to stay relevant in certain areas. Relevancy, my wife hates it when I use the term relevant. She's like, what are you going to start wearing skinny jeans next? And, it's like, well, they got a little slimmer these days, but they're not—they're not quite skinny yet. I—I I don't—I still don't have to wear MC Hammer pants from the 1980s, do I? Like, I live in 2017. Can I? Can my jeans get a little normal or what? But, um, anyways, she doesn't like it, you know. And she hates the term for that same reason, because it seems to be that that you lose focus when you when you just you know you make it about fitting in and looking what everybody wears, and um, but we 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 have to stay relevant in in you know in technology and reaching to people with the gospel keeping you know using facebook and twitter and now snapchat and these different things that that are relevant to our culture and to our society and our music and continue to grow and continue but but the you know it's just like it's fishing we're, we're called to be fishers of men right is that not what the lord's called each one of us a fisher of men was peter a fisherman and And Jesus used that analogy and he called fishermen on purpose and he said peter you, you used to fish for fish, but now you will you will fish for men and so what what do what do good fishermen do out at the lake if they're not getting a bite they change their bait they change their lure right does it matter if we use the green fly or the or the blue fly if it's bait and it's and it's and it's it's not changing the heart. Now if we if we just stopped fishing for fish and we just started do you know, if we change things that are sound and that are doctrinal. So what we what Calvary we stay committed and and the Calvary distinctive as far as teaching the word chapter by chapter verse by verse putting a a, an important position in each one of our lives of being in the word reading the word knowing God through a study of his word um, those things will never change the 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 doctrines will never change the work of the Holy Spirit in our life will change what what's behind me you know the idea that we do things on TVs and videos and lights and different things those things can can change those are lures those are fishing gear OK, but they're not. So anyways, Aaron here, he, he does it wrong, though, and he does, He is guilty of that um, becoming too much like the world, because in his heart, he's thinking that, oh, let's have a feast to the Lord. And Here's here's exactly what happens um, in churches today where they try to become so much like the world that, that people can come. And leave and never, never really change or expecting. Look what happens in verse six. It says, "Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play." So they went to church. They showed up for Aaron's service. They 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 went through the lip service, and then they rose up to play. Now, now how many times have you guys seen the word in the Bible, play? Somebody looked that up in the in the Hebrew. What that word means? Play? Did they get a ball out and play dodgeball? I mean, the word the word means that that they began to party. They began to eat and drink and be merry, and it'll give us a description of what exactly what they did. But you know, here's the thing: if you if you go to those churches today and You know, and it's so much like the world and they don't want to teach the word. They don't want to offend anybody. They want to keep everything relevant and they they don't want to step on your toes in any way. They don't want to deal with with the tough topics of in the Bible that the Bible touches on, you know, homosexuality and on um, these different issues that the Bible deals with. You're never going to hear them talk about them or deal with them or call sin sin and people can come and go how they want well, the reality is you come to, to a Sunday, but if that Sunday, listen, doesn't change your Monday, then your Sunday didn't count. And, and 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 that's the result you go you go to church and then you go party after church and you do what you're doing and you get naked and you dance around the fire singing born to be wild and and have no guilt no conscience and you go back to church the next sunday and you do it all over again and, and your sunday has nothing to do with your monday it doesn't affect anything because you weren't given the word you weren't called um you know sin wasn't called sin the, the word of god was not being taught or applied to your life in the idea of um, staying relevant to the culture And in verse seven, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, get down, go, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. The Lord's like, Hey, Moses, your people who you brought out, right? How how does that, how how does that play out in your house? Especially when the baby's diapers dirty. Hey, your daughter. Yeah. Your daughter. Or how about when your son's in big trouble? Your son, the son whom you, you know, who you brought into this world. Not my son, it's your son, not your son. Well, he's my son when he's being good, but he's your son when he's acting like that. And, and, and that's this conversation that Moses and the Lord are having. And the Lord says to Moses, your people who you brought out of the land, they're down there acting crazy. You better get down there. He says, the Lord said, they have corrupted themselves at the end of verse 7. Verse 8, it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. How many times have we read about the nation of Israel and and saw this exact thing, how quickly they turned away from what the Lord commanded them? If you read, and as we read, and as we go through the Old Testament, one of the things that is an elephant in the room is a red flag. It just jumps out over and over again. It's already happened a ton. These are the same people that were standing at the edge of the Red Sea, And some dude with a big beard raised a staff and there was a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left and they went through the Red Sea on dry land. And then as they turned around and the the Egyptian army was bearing down on them and the Red Sea closed and swallowed the Egyptian army. These are the same people who miraculously were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. These are the same people who would get up in the morning... And go out and collect manna that would just be laying on the ground outside that was bread from heaven. And if they collected too much, because God told them not to, it would be rotten the next morning. And and, and they would go out the next morning and there was the manna. And you think, if that was me, and I was standing there when the Red Sea parted. Now forget the ten plagues that they watched. Forget the fact that everybody else around them was, was experiencing the effect of the plagues except for them. And then the Red Sea, and then the manna, and then the cloud, and then the Lord showing up, and all these things. And then you think, if I witnessed all of that, like, there, there, I wouldn't doubt anymore. I would be serving God. Like, I'm convinced. All right, Lord. I was convinced, like, at plague number three. And you've passed ten plagues, and ten more, and ten more, and ten more miracles that you live with every day. How in the world are you complaining and doubting what God wants to do in your life? Anybody feel that way? When you watch and you read the Children of Israel? about them okay you guys ready this is my imaginary mirror this is this is who you're looking at person in the mirror because that that is an exact picture of your life and my life it really is you know if we really knew and 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 really appreciated um the many things God has done for us over the years and along the way and how quickly we are the same we're so quick to forget we're so quick to forget. It happens over and over again. You guys remember Elijah and the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal? Remember the story on Mount Carmel? Elijah challenged the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal in in Second in Kings, thing around seventeen, and and he says, and he t- and he gathers all the people and all the prophets, all the pagan pagan priests, and, and he tells the people, listen. How long are you going to go back and forth between two gods? if the Lord is God, serve him, but if Baal is God, then serve Baal and then he gathers all the priests and he says let 's have let 's have a battle so let 's have a challenge. And he said, "You build an altar and i 'll build an altar, and the God that answers by fire, let him be the true God and the, and the priests of Baal go first and they build a, an altar of wood, and four hundred and fifty of them begin to pray and ask their their false God to answer by fire and start this this altar on fire and you guys know the story as the day went on they they began to wail and scream and elijah began to like make fun of them and say maybe your god's in the bathroom relieving himself or maybe he's on a vacation and he'll be back in a little bit and maybe you need to yell louder and it said as the day went on, they began to cut themselves as was their custom to try to invoke the, the, the favor of their God. Well, when their, their time was over and their God didn't show up, Elijah builds an altar of wood and then he covers it with multiple pots of water so the wood is soaking wet. Anybody ever tried to light wet wood on fire? It's impossible. The only way you light wet wood on fire, you dry it first because wet wood don't burn. And, and wet wood and, and Elijah prays a simple prayer. And he says, Lord, you know, if you are God, show these people, bless these people, answer by fire. And fire falls from heaven, consumes the water, consumes the altar, and the altar turns on fire. And 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 the Elijah proves his point that the Lord is God. He takes the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and he does what? He has every one of them executed. Four hundred and fifty of them killed that day. What a victory. How many of you guys have prayed? First of all, how many of you guys have built an altar of wood, covered it in water, and then asked God to show your neighbors that he's the true God by starting it on fire? Anybody have that experience? Do you think if you did have that experience, maybe you guys think, yeah, maybe can I pick one of my neighbor's houses? Just squirt it down with a hose and say, God, all right, if you're the God, set that one on fire. But um, the very next day, the the priestess of these 450 prophets a wicked woman in the bible by the name of jezebel she gets upset and she vows that she's going to have revenge on elijah now you think by this point right this guy has just seen the hand of god he's fired up jezebel's got another thing coming because he just he just killed 450 prophets of baal god answered by fire and watch out is that what elijah does does he challenge her call her out say come on down you're a little old woman I just killed 450 of your prophets elijah started running like forrest gump like where he took off and didn't stop for like 365 days until he he ran for days without stopping because he was so afraid of this one woman who was mad at him and how quickly he he forgot the hand of god and the blessing of god and the power of god and and it just mesmerizes me but you know I, i don't I don't knock, and I, I I wonder, but I know that it's a picture of me. I know God put it in there because it's real life, and it's a picture of my life today, and it's a picture of your life today, and that's why we have this example and why the children of Israel continually, continually, quickly began to forget all these miracles. And so here they are once again forgetting, turning aside from the things that God had commanded them. And you know what? Sometimes, because I guess this is different than forgetting, and maybe at times they don't forget. How are you going to forget the Red Sea parting? You're not. And maybe not that you forget it, but you just turn away from it. You just choose not to, not, to, not to walk in it. And so they turn aside. In verse 8 it says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. I heard a red I don't know if I ever heard a stiff-necked. Um, maybe it's the same thing. Um stiff necked people. You you'll hear that term in the Bible often. You know, a stiff necked is someone that's just stubborn, right? Somebody that's that's an Eeyore. Ooh, Eeyore, Eeyore. I remember one time Pastor Gerald was we were in a board meeting and he was he wanted to do something that Pastor Jackie didn't like, and Pastor Jackie was arguing back and forth with him and Pastor Gerald was trying to tell him, Dude, just do it, you know, and no, no, no and they were going back and forth a little bit and um finally, finally, dad called him Eeyore. He's like, you're like Eeyore. And that was the end of the conversation. Jackie finally just did what he was supposed to do, you know, but, uh, but we can be that way. That stiff necked um, donkey type of uh, personality, you know, and, and, you know, the examples, it don't matter how many times you, you hit it and beat it. It's just going to stiffen its neck and, and and rebel and, he, and god uses the term these stiff-necked people multiple times in the in the old testament this is in the verse 10 now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and i may consume them and i will make of you a great nation who did god promise that he would that a great nation would come from that was almost unanimous i'm proud of you guys no lydia to hold to, to keep to, you know to back you guys up on some of these um Abraham was the father of faith, was the Father of nations. The, God promised that, that the great nation would come through Abraham, and here he tells Moses, "Hey, Moses, check it out. You know, Father Abraham was like a big deal. Forget him, Forget these people that came from him. We'll start all over. When, when, you know, in a thousand years, the kids in Sunday school, they won't sing "Father Abraham." Had many sons. They'll sing, "Father Moses had many sons." Like you know, we'll we'll just we'll just get rid of these people, Moses. We'll start all over, and, and they'll come from you. You'll be the father of many nations. And and, and what a temptation or or a test for Moses to um, say, "Yeah, all right, cool, let's go, Lord, let's do it." Start all over. These people. I, I mean, by this time, do you, do you think Moses was tired of these people by this time? I think maybe a little bit. And, and you know what's interesting is that we, we get these little tidbits We're going to get one here in a minute That Moses had a little bit of an anger problem He had anger issues Which I can't reconcile But other than just it's They're both true Because the Bible says it, But Moses was the most humble man that ever lived How do we know that? Because Moses told us That's the truth He tells us that he's the most humble man that ever lived And inspired by the Holy Spirit Moses was a humble beast but being humble, a couple times in his ministry, he gets angry outside of the will of God. And, and we're going to see uh, the first case of it. The next one is is uh, is later. He hasn't already hit the rock the second time. I don't think that's coming up. And it says... Um, in verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? So now Moses throws it back on me. My people they are your people. You brought him out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people you know you know prayer the the most powerful prayers in the scriptures is oftentimes just reminding god what he's already promised and already said and and god is testing moses here i believe i i don't believe that god was going to at this point in history had moses said okay let's go change his plan that that was already done in abraham and through abraham and change it to moses but um you know and then moses why did moses not fall into this this idea or this temptation why did he have a compassion and a heart for these people well number one where was moses for the last 40 days he was on the mountain who was who was he hanging out with he was in the he was in the presence of god and what happens when we're in the presence of god we have a heart for people we have his heart we get his heart we become more like god more like jesus And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend with God, the more compassion we're going to have for God's people. Because the greatest call that you have as a Christian person is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that love of other people and Jesus said, your love for one for another by this, they'll know you're my disciples. That love doesn't come natural for any of us. It's something that has to be inspired and, and encouraged and charged by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And because Moses had spent time with God, had the heart of God, he had compassion for these people. And, and Moses was a prayer warrior. He, had, he, he begins to intercede and pray for them. And in his eloquent prayer here that's simple and just discussion, he reminds God of God's promise and what God said. Do, do you remember Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha? You know, what, what's so cool about that whole story, and, and it's, I mean, this, this sermon just preaches, brother, but um, Mary and Martha, Lazarus dies, and Mary and Martha come to Jesus, and they're about to ask Jesus for the, for the hugest favor that their brother is dead. And you would think, when you and I come to God so many times and we need a big favor, something major going on in our lives, we, we begin to tell God why we're worthy or why we deserve it or why we need it or, you know, Lord, you know, I, I, and, and maybe start listing our accomplishments or the things that we've done. And, and if, we, if we don't feel like we've done enough, then we, you know, we, we, we have a hard time in that conversation because we feel like, oh, I didn't do enough or or plead enough. But listen, Mary and Martha come to Jesus... And they're going to ask him for a huge favor. And 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 Lazarus was like Jesus' best friend. And 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 and, you know, and and instead of listing all the reasons why Lazarus and Mary and Martha um, deserved it and deserved this blessing, listen to what they said. They said, Jesus, the one whom you love, the one whom you love needs a blessing just reminding Jesus of his love for Lazarus, reminding Jesus of his promise and of his care and what he's done. And that's what Moses does. He says, God, you know, the, the people, the Egyptians, they're going to say that you, you came and you, you just, you know, brought these people out and killed them. He just reminds the Lord of the promises that God has made. And God is not God is not Capable of repenting. Now, in my in my new or my new King James version, they use a word that is that is better for us to 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 wrap our minds around the word relent. Right? And, and how many of you guys use the original King James? Excuse me. Anybody have the original King James? What does it say at the bottom of verse twelve? Your fierce wrath and repent it says repent in the original king james and, and immediately your antennas go up how can god repent because god is all knowing he he writes the end from the beginning he he can't m- do something and then later realize it was a mistake and need repentance he has no sin he has no wrong god, god cannot repent but but this idea in this word it's translated better in the in the newer version relent and the idea for God to turn from something a decision that He was going to make because of intercessory prayer and, and that's biblical that's biblical God God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and what did Abraham begin to do he began to intercede and pray for Sodom and Gomorrah and God made a deal that He would relent if there were ten righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. Unfortunately, excuse me, for Sodom and Gomorrah, there wasn't ten righteous in the entire city. And then God did rain down fire. But based on Abraham's um, intercessory prayer, God was willing to relent. And so, you know, and again, these are, and this is a term we've used multiple times going through the Old Testament, anthropomorphic terms. They're human terms to describe a God who is outside of our time, um, space continuum he's outside of our element he's god first of all he's spirit the bible says that his ways are higher than our ways and and, and the reality is and nobody should get twisted over this you're not going to understand intellectually everything about god nor do you need to and if you could completely figure god out and all of his reasonings and everything is he that big of a god Kind of shrinks him a little bit. If you could wrap your mind around him, you're just not going to wrap your completely. Be able to ever wrap your mind around God and until He opens your eyes in eternity and and gives you, as First John tells us, that we'll know Him as we're known. But that doesn't happen until eternity. And on this side of eternity, there's just going to be things with a holy God who's outside of our time, and um, that that we we will not fully get. And that's okay, right? Right? And 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 then. You know, just just this concept. Think about this for a minute. Just this concept that, you know, I thought about this as I was going through this. Even if God did it differently, who, who am I? Who am I to judge whether that's okay or not? When I'm God, I can do it however I want to do it, which I'm never going to be, nor will any of you. There's two things I know. There is a God and you're not him. And, but God, God God can do what he wants. And who am I to, to judge or to say any differently? What if, what if God here in this story and Moses says, okay, Lord, deal. And Moses, the Lord flips, kills all these people. And today we sing Father Moses. Oh, well, that that's the way God did it. Who am I? I really don't have nowhere to go. I really don't have too many other options. The other guy's breath stinks and he's got horns and a tail. And I'm not going to go hang out with him. I think I'm going to stay right here, whether I like it or not. And if I don't understand it, I can, you know, seek the Lord and pray and, and ask for understanding. So it goes on. And it says in verse 13, remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Just a quick thing. You notice when Moses is um, in interceding, he doesn't use the term Jacob. Because God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the term that the Bible uses more times than not. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know what Moses' reasoning was, but God changed um, Jacob's name to Israel. And he's asking for a favor. Maybe he doesn't want to remind God of Jacob. He only wants to talk about Israel governed by God. So he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Israel and Jacob are the same person. Okay, His name was Jacob, later changed to Israel, governed by God. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self... And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. H- how did Moses know this? How did Moses know what God said to Abraham? Years, 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 years before. We've passed the halfway point in the Old Testament by here, right? We passed that in Genesis chapter, forget forget, was it 12, 20? Abraham by the time we get to Abraham we're at the halfway point of the Old Testament Okay, Genesis 22 is, is Abraham and Isaac so by that point we're at the halfway point of the Old Testament so we're far removed from that Okay, by the time we get to Moses but but obviously Moses knew the word of God you know when we studied Peter on Sunday Peter goes back and he quotes King David and, and he quotes this, this, this passage in the Psalms that applies to what he's teaching but the only way he's going to do that is he has to know what the Psalms say had to be a student peter had to be a student of the word and study the word and know the word same thing with the apostle paul the apostle paul is constantly going back and and finding places in the scripture that he highlights but in order to do that he had to know those places and so all the writers of the word of god and even in these old days before they had literally the written word of god moses at some point in his life compiles the first five books and records the first five books of the law or the the bible and um but he knew the word of God. So the Lord relented from harm, which he said he would do to his own people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountains, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. And the tablets were written on both sides, and on one side, and on the other side they were written. Real quick, just a little tidbit on that. Um, when, when you go through the genealogy in Genesis, and, and do you realize that Adam would have still been alive when Noah was born? Adam lived, I don't know the exact number, between eight and 900 years somewhere. I don't know if anybody remembers the exact number that Adam lived. The Bible tells us he lived a certain amount of years. Well, when you when you follow the generations, um, living 900 years by the time that... So some of these traditions, some of these things that, you know, was Adam and Eve... Was Adam present when Satan was there and tempted Eve and, and, and the whole Genesis and the whole story and when Adam named all the animals... But he lived for 900 years, and he lived from generation to generation to generation. And so so many of the the oral stories that were given weren't even secondhand. They were firsthand related to the, as they passed on, as they went on from generation to generation, because these people lived for so long. 930 years, thank you. And in verse 16, it says, Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people and they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. So the noise that he heard was the song born to be wild. So they were singing born to be wild. They were dancing nakedly around the golden calf. And Moses said, but he said, is it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing or partying or rebelling that I hear. So this is not the sound of an army cry or of a battle cry or of something noble. This is a different sound, an ungodly sound. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses's anger became hot. Okay, you can underline if you want, and write anger issues next to that. And he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So Moses gets angry. And unfortunately, the original tablets that God wrote on with his own hand, Moses comes down and he throws them on the ground and he breaks them. Now, it is very um, symbolic and that the law is broken and that the law causes death. and, And that the original um, tablets that God wrote on. Moses breaks them in his anger. Another example we see of Moses and his anger later in the Old Testament, or is the time when, you know, God told Moses the first time to speak to the rock. And, and, and he spoke to the rock and water came forth. And then the people were murmuring and complaining later. And, and Moses went to the Lord and interceded for the people. And God told Moses to go. And uh, I'm sorry, the first time Moses hit the rock, the second time, he went, and the Lord said to speak to the rock this time. And Moses goes back to the people, and he's, he's angry. And, and he says, must I smite this rock a second time? And he hits the rock with that famous staff, and water comes forth. And for that reason, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. For that reason, because, because God comes to Moses, and he says, Moses, you misrepresented me today before the people. I wasn't angry at the people. I told you to speak to the rock. And, and the more important issue... Is that God was establishing that the rock was who? The rock in the Bible is who? Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Over and over and over again. Jesus is the rock, right? The wise man builds his house on the, the rock. Jesus is the rock. It's the foundation that we all build on. And if that's not solid, then, then, then the winds and the rain come. It's going to eventually blow the house down because Jesus is the rock. And in and, and the Old Testament, this picture that Moses laid out was the rock and water comes forth. Jesus said... Um, to the woman at the well of the water that I give you know if you drink you will never thirst again and he who drinks of the water that I shall give out of his heart out of his life out of his innermost being will flow torrents of living water and so Jesus being the rock there was this old testament symbolism that god was setting up that Jesus died on a cross that was the first time moses hit him with the staff hit him with wood jesus would would die on a cross and then um he doesn't need to die on a cross again to forgive you of your sins. Now you speak to the rock. And now you ask by faith for Jesus to come into your life. You speak. And, and, and now we talk to Jesus and He comes into our life. So Moses broke the symbolism. We see Moses getting angry there a second time. Verse 20 yeah then then he took the calf which he they had made, and he burned it in the fire and ground it into powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it so I don't know you can think what you want there, but you know but that that is a result of sin um you know and and we we gorge ourselves in that sin affects our lives that sin is something that we used as a you know as a pleasure and then we end up you know who wants to drink a pail of water full of gold flakes i mean i'm sure that can't be good for you right and um so moses burns it and he puts it in the water and he makes him drink it and then in verse um, 21 it says and moses said to aaron why what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them And so Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know, little, little L, right? Little O, little R, little D. He's talking about Moses when he says Lord there. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, Let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. (laughs) Dude, when you're in trouble and you start lying, you sound that stupid yourself sometimes. Right? Like, I mean, you come up with some whoppers when you're scared and you're in trouble. I mean, did he really want Moses to believe that he just threw a bunch of gold in the fire and a perfectly molded shaped calf just came out? Exactly. But you know what the thing about? About this decision, too, and it's a tendency you know i've I've dealt with it in in one of my sons um is you know I'll challenge him you know, and, and he'll and I'll be serious and upset, and you know ask him a question, and he, he gets afraid, and his immediate response is to tell a lie and, and that's that's a tendency, and it's a sin that that we 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 dealt with and and we talk through and we walk through. Because it's almost like just something takes over and then this instinct kicks in where he just tells a lie. And, and that's the way it happens in all of our lives. That's the way that it, it goes through for most of us is sometimes maybe we don't have time to really think it through. We get nervous and we just spit out a lie because it's, it's a function that, that we've programmed and we have to deprogram that. We have to change that. And, and really for Aaron, Aaron was never able to completely be a leader for this reason that, you know, you know a leader in that situation and a quality of a leader who leads people who leads situations who's a leader they tell the truth in those situations regardless of the cost this is what happened man and I, you know and you tell the truth you know as far as um working for pastor gerald uh, as a boss not not only as my pot, my pastor my father-in-law but as a boss and um and just a personal thing for him, but among staff, the one thing he would never tolerate, and the one thing that was very hard for him to, I won't say forgive, because, because I don't think that he had any unforgiveness for anybody, that's not what I'm saying, but the one thing that would always just stick with him, it would be hard for him to forget, is, is anybody on staff who would lie to him, if you catch him in a lie, if they, if they looked him in the face and lied to him, it was always, it, it was never the same for that person, really, and you just, you just, no matter what, you know, and I guess it put the fear in the rest of us, that we don't want to be that guy, and you, you know, you learn to tell the truth. But regardless of what, you tell the truth. You tell the truth, and here, here Aaron, who lacks the leadership of Moses, he 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 fails in this test, and he he comes up with this crazy lie. And not only is it is it a lie, it's a bad lie, right? Who's going to believe that? I don't know. Maybe maybe Trenton, but not the rest of us. We would we wouldn't buy that. And it says. Where are we at? Oh, this calf came out 25. And now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said whoever is on the Lord's side come to me and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him and he said to them thus says the Lord God of Israel let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother every man his companion and every man his neighbor so Moses comes down the children of Israel are naked they're dancing they're partying They're they're singing. There are three things that are present here in Ex in Exodus chapter thirty two among the people: sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not kidding. I mean, you know, um, sex, money, and power. You know that Satan has three powerful temptations and it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed from Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden. It doesn't change. When I was a kid there was a skate company, a popular skate company. It was called SMP. T shirt, skateboards, brand, and um they had a bunch of different things that it would mean. But basically sex, money and power. And and, and it's just it's a continual plan and temptation of Satan and always has been and Um, Continues to be, and that's what was was going on. These people were partying, and so uh, I'm going to end here. It's eight thirty, so but I want to finish the chapter. But I'm going to kind of sum up this next section. So basically, Moses gathers all the people now. Now, what what happens here? We have a change in a plan that God laid out um, all the way through. But God calls all the people, and, and basically He says, "Who is going to?" gird up their sword and deal with these people and, and and really what's what's happening here is the people are not repentant the people are continuing to party and go on with it they see moses come down they didn't get dressed and turn the party off you know and and and, and in an unrepentant spirit god is going to deal with the sin of these people and moses calls the people and he says who um will deal with this sin and only one tribe steps up here Only the tribe of Levi was willing to to be obedient to what Moses asked and deal with this sin. And the other tribes, they didn't want to. And and no doubt, um, daunting task. And again, we're we're Old Testament. But Moses was calling them to, to deal with this sin. To take a sword and hack, if it were brothers, sisters, cousins, mothers, fathers and and deal with this sin now as far as the sin itself goes you know societally it it would be as if you know we look terribly upon it where moses calls and he says hey go get a sword and cut those and kill those people but but really it's it's as if as if it's the sin of treason now if somebody betrayed our country and american lives were cost because they sold military secrets to the russians what what's the penalty for that in our society it's death and this is, this is a sin of treason among the people, and it's cancerous. And what happens if this cancer continues through the people? Well, it's going to affect 3,000 today, but if undealt with, that 3,000 will grow to what? 3 million? 30 million? And that's what cancer does. Cancer always starts in one part of your body, and then it metastasizes until it spreads to the entire and destroys the rest of your body if the cancer is not cut out and destroyed. And that's the way that God dealt with, dealt with sin as a cancer. And so he calls the people, and it has to be dealt with. It's a cancer. It's a sin of treason. But the people won't respond. They won't take the sword or the word of God and go deal with this sin, except for the tribe of Levi. As a result, at this point in the history of the nation of Israel, um, the, the tribe of Levi becomes the priestly tribe. Before this, God had already laid out that it would be, and we dealt with it in Genesis, and we talked about it in several places as we went through, that God called and said he he wanted um, the people of Israel to separate unto him the firstborn son. And the deal, dealing with the, the priestly duties and the things of God and the responsibilities of ministry was for every tribe. And, and the firstborn son was to be the one who was going to do it. And after this point, that changes. And now, to this day, it's only the tribe of Levi that, that were tasked to do the priestly um, duties because their response here in Exodus 32, where they were the only tribe who would step up and, and be obedient and deal with this sin and... Um, take the sword, take the word of God, and eradicate sin. And so for us as Christians, we we have to be that, that Levitical tribe in so many areas where we're willing to, and yes, we can preface everything in love, but we're willing to take the word of God and stand by it. Oh, I know that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, but I can't teach that. That'll offend people. That, that 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 god god understands now we live in 2017 god understands he's changed now, now i don't have anything and i have no um i have nothing but love for for people and i don't think that sin is worse than the sin of adultery or other sexual sins it's definitely different to deal with and we love all people and we want to see them come to christ and we'll share the gospel with them but to call a sin a sin to deal with it, to say what the Word of God says. Take the Word of God and use it appropriately and, and and stand by it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to me except through the Father. And Oprah Winfrey, she has this she has one of the largest churches, internet churches in the world. And this whole thing that she does on the internet, and, and oftentimes she'll bring pastors in and, and she'll interview them through this spiritual who calls, Anybody know what it's called the Oprah Winfrey Church thing? it's yeah. um, but anyways i've seen several of them and every time she challenges the pastors on this is jesus the only way to heaven and they dance and they skirt and they squimmer and they just don't stand on the word of god and just say yes i am the way the truth and the life they, they quote that then they stop but they won't say and no one comes to the father except through me Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to salvation. And few enter thereby, is what Jesus said. So here, the tribe of Levi, they step up. They're going to deal with it. Verse 28. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. That... He may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man is op- opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Really quickly, the word atonement here, atonement means at one, at one minute. That, that's not necessarily a great translation of the Hebrew word here in this case, because Moses was not, um, this is a covering. Um, the word atonement is the word um, Kippur. That's what the, they call the little. We call, I call I always called it a yarmulke, but the other term that they'll use for that little hat the Jews wear is a Kippur or a covering. And, and the, the the Hebrew word is Kippur. We get the we get the holiday, the one day a year where the Jews um, make atonement for their sin, the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. And so, but this here is not. He's not making atonement a or one myth, more a covering for their sin and not not, you know, at one myth. And it says in verse thirty one, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Little G. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which I have written. Crazy. Crazy. I, I, I've I thought of this. You know Why? Do you know who the other person in the Bible who prayed this? Better remember. Romans chapter nine. That's your clue. Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, um, speaking of the nation of Israel, and he says, "If my brethren could get saved, you you know, I'll I'll I'll, you can you can take me out of heaven. You can blot my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life if, if it were if it would help you know if it were possible to save the the my brethren, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and." Um. You know, the reality of hell scares me to death. And I think, man, I don't know that I could go to hell for anything. Even if I knew people could get saved, could I spend eternity in hell? And I'm definitely not there. I mean, that's a scary thought. I don't know, there's nothing that, you know, w- would motivate me to or, or inspire me. But here Moses, who, again, is a man of prayer had been 40 days and Paul's the same way these guys were intercessors who loved people and had a root super and as they got close to God they got to the point where they could really say in their hearts and they loved the people so much and they cared so much for the people's salvation that Moses here offers himself to be blotted out of the of God's um, book, which means he would go to hell for eternity in order to save these people. Now, obviously, God doesn't take Paul or him up on this, nor would he take any of us up on that that offer if we really did make it from our heart because Jesus is the one who dies for sins, not us, not Moses, not Paul. Jesus is the one who atones for sins and um, defeated sin and death. But the, the sincerity of Moses's heart there, and in verse 33, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him. And the Lord said to Moses, "Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Not you, Moses." All right. Since it's eight thirty-five, actually, we did start. It's eight forty now. We did start fifteen minutes late, so technically, I got five minutes left. Um, not not going to unpack it really today. But there, there there is a lamb's book of life. This is a reality of of it's in heaven. It's mentioned here, the Lamb's Book of Life. It's mentioned in Revelation. It's mentioned in several other places in the Bible. And and basically, if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will not go to heaven. It's God's record of who goes to heaven and who doesn't. And so we often, you know, we tell jokes about, oh, I got to the pearly gates and Peter was standing there and he asked me three questions if I could answer them, I could get into heaven, and we start telling jokes about what happens at the pearly gates. And part of that, you know, that's not Biblical or reality to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. We'll stand before the Lord, but the book will be open—the Lamb's Book of Life—and and, and either your name is in it or it's not. And if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then you don't go to heaven. And it's 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 the one of the the ways God keeps the record as we go through. And like I said, I don't really have time to completely unpack it today. In verse 34, it says, Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place where I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did and what the calf which Aaron made. The Bible is going to tell us, uh, Moses is going to tell us later in Deuteronomy that God was also uh, pretty hot at Aaron but but that Moses interceded for him and God didn't turn him into a crispy critter with the rest of them. Um, last little thing to notice. Um, I, I, some of you guys closed your Bibles already, but the, there's a number in there. How many people died that day? 3,000 people. Okay, does that ring a bell, that number 3,000 to anybody? This particular day, what happened on this particular day in human history? This is the day that, that we credit, that say that the law was given. Moses just came down off the mountain where he was 40 days and 40 nights. What was he receiving on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights? The law of Moses. This is the day the Ten Commandments were presented. We've been reading. We've been getting a sneak peek on what's going up. But again, don't forget, the law hadn't been given yet. He hadn't told the people yet. The tabernacle wasn't being built yet. We were just reading the instructions for the tabernacle. So the day the law was given, 3,000 souls died. The law kills and on the day that the holy spirit was given on the day of what pentecost what happened what happened that day 3000 souls were saved on the day that the law was on the day that grace was given on the day that the holy spirit was given 3000 souls got saved so the day we received the law 3000 died because the law kills and on the day that the holy spirit was given and we received grace 3000 people were saved that day amen all right let's stand let's pray Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, would have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And how do we know that our name is written in that book? Father, by, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by surrendering our hearts and lives to you fully, by holding nothing back, Father, Lord, in, in anything. Lord, in fully surrendering our lives to you. And then we know that we know that we know. We don't have to keep coming to church every week and getting resaved. Once we're saved. We're saved. And, Lord, it's time to walk and grow and read the word. And, and so, Lord, we pray, Father, that as we study the word, as we as we grow in the word, as we um, follow the example of Moses and how, Lord, because he spent so much time with you personally and up on the mountain. And God, in that day, Moses is the only one that had access on the mountain. He said you'd kill anybody that got close to Mount Sinai. And, Lord, yet the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And on this side of the cross, we all get invited to go up on the mountain and spend time with you. We all get invited to have our faces glow and, and have our hearts grow from, from being in your presence. And so, Lord, it's in your presence through prayer and through intercession and through reading the word and spending time with you. That we, we will be in a position to make the, the amazing and, and, and uh, just loving and right decisions and, and heart conditions that Moses had to pray for the people, to intercede for the people, to even offer his own life as a sacrifice because he loved the people. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us learn from that and grow in that. And uh, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.